Well, that was an amazing intro, and if only Mark could have been there to, uh, to pump me up like that with Helen. Uh, you don't know Helen, but I'm going to share with you how Helen has influenced my life. Uh, several years ago, uh, got a call about, uh, about 2.15 in the morning. You know when you get those early morning calls, it's generally bad news. Um, but as a pastor, um, I'm used to getting calls at odd hours, so I picked up the phone and uh, it was a mutual friend saying that Helen was in hospital with a suspected heart attack. And uh, I thought, uh, wow, Helen is in real need here. And uh, so I got dressed, I drove down to the uh, hospital uh, and um, was uh, given access to the emergency ward and uh, feeling um, quite... Uh, mixed emotions. My own father uh, died away, uh, died tragically at the age of 50 of a massive heart attack. And so it was triggering all types of things in me. And so as I'm looking across the emergency ward, I see Helen propped up in bed and the level of medical activity around her was um, really minimal, um, which can mean a couple of things. Either she's dead or um, she's, it's not a medical emergency. And fortunately, it was the latter. Um, she was actually propped up and, and she seemed to be doing super well, lots of colour in her face. Her husband was nearby and at that point my whole countenance changed. I was thinking, well, this is fantastic because Helen's obviously doing better um, and uh, I figured that uh, she wasn't dying of a, of a heart attack and so um, I thought, this is going to be really good because in a few moments when Helen realizes that I got up in the middle of the night to come and visit her, she's just going to be so blessed and go, oh, you know, Wes, you're amazing. Um, so I, I'm, I'm walking across the emergency room floor, uh, waiting for her eyes to connect with mine. And when they did, I got a response, which I was totally not uh, anticipating. She took one look at me and went, oh, God. <laughs> I'm thinking... Now she's going to have a myocardial infarction right there because a pastor walked in. Um, I don't know what it was that, um, you know, that was motivating her to take such a negative view of me, you know, being at the hospital that morning. Maybe she was, um, maybe she felt like it was a false alarm and, you know, we were overreacting and, you know, um, she wanted to keep it a private matter and, um, Maybe she, was, she thought that I was presuming upon a level of uh, uh, relationship that just wasn't there. I don't know. And, and to this day, I still don't know. But I thought, well, I, you know, I'm here. You know, Helen, can I pray for you? And so I did and, you know, asked God just to, to bless her and bless her family and thank God that, uh, you know, she's, she's uh, you know, not battling for her life. Um, but I just sensed that tension there. You know, I was, I was there to help Helen. I, w I was there to reach out to Helen, to, to be somewhat of a blessing. You know, I, I, I follow Jesus, and Jesus, um, Jesus compels me to reach out, you know, to, to those who um, are in, in all types of circumstances, and, and this being, being one where reach out factor is very important. And so um, as I'm, I'm leaving, um, I'm thinking to myself, whoa. What just happened? Made my way out through uh, the waiting room and I stopped in the waiting room for a few moments and then I proceeded to make my way out to my car. 
and jumped in my car. And then that's, that's when the, the, the spiral kicked in. It's what, as uh, clinical psychologists, we call it uh, being overcome by cognitive distortions, by um, all types of uh, unhelpful thinking. Um, I'm driving home and I'm, I'm, I'm actually having a complaint session to God. I'm saying, God, you know I love you, you know I serve you, but you know what's going to happen. I'm going to go home. I've been up for so long now that I'm not going to be able to get back to sleep. Does anybody kind of like that? If, you're, if you get up in the middle of the night for more than 10 minutes, you're done. You can't get back to sleep. And so, it, you know, it's, it's really a sacrifice, you know, when you get up for somebody. And, and I'm going, God, I got up to help Helen, and Helen didn't want my help. And I don't get it. I mean, I, I'm putting her first. I'm put, I, God, quite frankly, I would have liked to stay in bed. And, uh, and because I know that, um, that, that as the day rolled on, it would hit me in the afternoon. I would be really tired, not having a good night's sleep, and it would affect the whole day. And, and, and so as I'm driving home, I'm absolutely writing off the rest of the day as being just, uh, just anticipating that it's just not going to be a good day. I, I'm going into it unrefreshed. And, uh, and then that's, that was it. That was Helen. Um, Helen obviously didn't feel about me like your awesome pastor Mark feels about me. So um, he, he uh, gave you the impression that he thinks I'm awesome and I'm grateful for that. I, he, he knows my good stuff, maybe not so much my bad stuff. Um, but Helen, um, Helen at that point, you know, just it would have been better if I hadn't been in her world. And uh, sometimes that happens. As, uh, as believers, you know, we reach out, we, we extend grace and love, and, and we think it's going to be reciprocated, and, uh, and it's not. And it causes us to question, you know, am I outside the will of God? Is that, you know, should I leave this up to those with the gift of evangelism? What, what, you know, what's going on here? So I want you to pick that story up in your mind, and I want you to kind of shuffle it um, to the side. And uh, I want to ask you this question. What do you... Um, what do you think is the most reliable motor vehicle, um, make of motor vehicle on, on the road today? Do you, um, somebody say, do I hear Toyota over here? Somebody, I, Vespa. <laughs> Vespa, okay, for petrol mileage. A, a Volvo, okay, anybody else? A BMW? Um, a Mazda, or as they say in America, a Mazda. Monster. That's right. I've lived um, uh, exactly half my life in Australia and half my life in America. So I don't know if I'm, when I'm in America they say I sound like an Australian. Um, here you may not think as much, but anyway, I just want to give you that, that little bit of background. But um, so I hear you know Mercedes, Lexus, BMWs, Toyotas, and um, I haven't heard anybody say Holden. Here it is. Okay. Well, I would like to propose to you that um, actually the uh, most reliable car on the road is uh, the VW Beetle. I'm just, I think uh, it's uh, Brendan. Brendan's going to help me out here. So, yeah, and I'm not even talking about the new VW Beetle. I'm talking about the old one, you know, the classic VW Beetle. And uh, you may say, well, you know, come on with these high-end BMWs, you know, compared to a classic 
VW Beetle. Well, this is the reason. This is my, this is my hypothesis, and I'm standing beside it and, uh, and claiming it. You see, a highly engineered automobile is so computer-oriented, all you need is a little glitch in the computer system, and the whole engine shuts down. Isn't that true? Whereas the thing about a, uh, a VW Beetle is this, they keep going even when they're broken. <laughs> That's serious. I mean, it's like, it can be, it's a four cylinder, it can be running on three cylinders, it doesn't sound pretty, but it'll still keep, it still gets you going where you need to go. And, uh, you know, often in uh, Southern California, it gets really dry and really hot in the, in the summers. Often, if you see a car um, off to the side of the road, uh, burning, it's, um, it's generally a VW Beetle, I think, I, there we go. It's, um, and and the, uh, the car aficionados tell me that uh, the reason that is is because the, uh, the, gas, uh, the petrol line is too close to the exhaust manifold, and if you get a leak in your petrol line, it, it drips onto the exhaust manifold and voila. Well, I actually, I, I have a more philosophical, philosophical I, I have a different view. <laughs> that revolves around my personal philosophy, um, that uh, VW Beetle just wants to go out doing what it's intended to do. You know, so it's not going to, you know, at the end of its life, you know, sleek off to a junkyard and quietly, you know, trade itself in. No, it's going to go out in a blaze of glory. And, uh, you know, sometimes I think, uh, you know, that, that should resonate with us as, as followers of Jesus. Because I think um, Jesus wants us to to go out there and do stuff, do great stuff, and to go out in, in a blaze of glory. Now, I, I need to qualify that. Um, I'm a doctor of clinical psychology, and, and I am specialized to work with um, ministry leaders. My doctoral dissertation was to bore you, and then I'll maybe tell a joke to bring it back up, was um, the precipitating factors that lead to stress and burnout in, in uh, ministry leaders. And so I'm you know, considered somewhat of an expert in uh, uh, pastors and ministers that burn out. And uh, it is something that I feel very dearly about because um, I think, you know, guys like Mark and Louisa and the ministry team here, you know, God, the kingdom of God is built through what God is calling you to do and put yourself forward. And... Uh, but he wants you to, he just wants you to keep going, um, even though it sometimes gets rough. Uh, years ago, there was a, a few commercials on television. Um, some of you, there was a, a, a watch company. It said, uh, it takes a licking, but keeps on, keeps on ticking. Does anybody remember what that... Uh, I think it was Seiko or something. Takes a licking, keeps on ticking. There was another Samsonite luggage. You know, they threw a piece of uh, luggage out from an airplane, you know, thousands of feet up, and, you know, the cameras w watched it, uh, filmed it coming down. It hit earth. It, you know, bounced around, whole, got, got dented and, and beat up, but it actually stayed closed. All the stuff inside stayed intact. And, uh, and, and so that was, a, that was the, the pride of Samsonite luggage. We can you know, take a beating and still you know, hold, hold our stuff together. There is a person in, in the New Testament who, to me, embodies somebody who can keep going when they're broken, 
takes a licking but keeps on ticking, can uh, you know, take great tumbles but still manage to hold it together. And we can do that because of the power of Jesus Christ in us. But it does take a mindset of having a fundamental understanding that the Christian life sometimes entails situations like what I experienced with Helen. You know, you go to help, you go to reach out, you go to share the good news, and it, you don't get received like you're hoping. And you're thinking, God, you know, where's the hedge of protection and all this? And, you know, the, the Christian life uh, sometimes entails great highs and thrills and, you know, God really coming through. Um, and, and then it also entails times where it gets, it gets hard. Serving gets hard. And uh, we don't quite have an effective narrative for that because if the narrative for, you know, when things are going well, yeah, God's really blessing us, God's really coming through. What, where's God when, you know, when our engine is on fire and we're going, God, you know, um, you know, is God really coming through for us then? Is God, you know, is God off, you know, having a cup of tea? Is he so busy, you know, Keeping, keeping up with Hillsong, that he hasn't got time for, you know, all, all these other churches. You know, we, we haven't quite constructed an effective narrative for when things get really hard in my life. And that's what I want to share with you today, to have an, a, a really positive, constructive narrative, because sometimes in this life, uh, as we serve Christ, things don't go so well. And I want to base it on uh, the Apostle Paul, and uh, let me just give you a bit of background. Thanks, Brandon. Uh, next slide. Okay. The Apostle Paul starts out, his name was Saul, the, the greatest persecutor of the church. I mean, he was the, whew, what's a, he, he was like um, a, a modern day, um, I don't even want to mention their names. But he was out to pulverize this emerging church of Jesus Christ. And he had this incredible encounter with Jesus one day, the living Jesus. Jesus says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul realized in that moment the power of the living, resurrected Jesus Christ, and it turned his life around. So he went from being the persecutor of the church to being the greatest promoter of the church that you could ever ask for. And he was in Jerusalem one day doing his favorite thing, talking about the, the magnificent wonder of salvation in Jesus Christ, his favorite thing, and he gets arrested. They haul him in. They're about to... to um, to give him a, a, a massive flogging. And he does something strange. In that moment, he says, hey, I'm a Roman citizen, and you are going outside of legal process that I am deserving of as a Roman citizen. So they think, great, okay, off to, off to Rome you go, then you know, we'll, get, we'll get rid of you. Um, so they put him on a prisoner ship um, destined for Rome, but something happened on the way. They start out, here in Caesarea, and this is the, the black dotted line, and the, and the boat's hugging the coastline, because back then, you know, they, uh, the ships weren't as robust, so they tried to keep, you know, within a reasonable distance of land. But then the captain uh, made a shot for Crete, uh, ended up in Fair Havens, decided that that's, uh, they were actually going to winter 
um, on the island, but uh, the captain thought, yeah, the, I don't know, maybe it was the nightlife, the restaurants. He, he decided that he would prefer to duck around the corner to uh, winter in Phoenix, except in the midst of that quick journey that was like, you know, maybe don't even need to pray about this one. It's just around the corner. The boat gets sucked into uh, a, a horrendous hurricane. And so for the next two weeks, their boat is just completely tossed around the Mediterranean Sea. And uh, so if you could imagine, Paul's going, God, what's going on here? You know, I, I, was, I was declaring your praises in Jerusalem, doing your very favorite thing, building the church. I get arrested, almost flogged to death. Um, I get put on this um, prisoner ship. Now I'm in this hurricane. Could you imagine having over 200 prisoners in this you know, wooden vessel um, without sanitary conditions? What that must have felt like, or smelt like, actually. Um, you know, everybody getting seasick, and it must have been just a terrible mess. And, and uh, you could imagine you know, what must have been going through Paul's mind. And uh, if that wasn't enough, uh, you know, they finally see land, and then they... Um, uh, they make a beeline for land and they uh, hit a sandbar. They don't even, you know, cut me a break, God. They, they, the boat hits a sandbar. It's getting smashed to pieces. The soldiers have under instructions not to leave, let prisoners free and they pay with it with their life. And so they were preparing to kill all the prisoners and Paul talked them out of it. And uh, he had built a relationship with the, the leader, the, uh, the centurion there. And he said, listen, grab whatever you can, make it to shore. And this is where I want to pick it up. Um, in Acts chapter 28, it says this. Once safely on shore, we found out that the island was called Malta. The islanders showed us unusual kindness. They built a fire and welcomed us all because it was raining and cold. Paul gathered a pile of brushwood, and as he put it on the fire, a viper driven out by the heat fastened itself onto his hand. When the islanders saw the snake hanging from his hand, they said to each other, this man must be a murderer, for though he escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. But Paul shook the snake off into the fire and suffered no ill effects. The people expected him to swell up or suddenly fall dead, but after waiting a long time and seeing nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their mind and said he was a god." Now, just in that moment, if you could, you've, you've been in a ship uh, out, being tossed around in the middle of a hurricane, you, you haven't eaten, you are uh, just beside yourself with nausea and uh, the stench, you get shipwrecked, almost killed again, finally at shore, and um, thanks, Brandon. Um, Uh, that's what Malta looks like today. That, that's where they kind of got shipwrecked. Uh, back then, it looked more like this. Yeah. Uh, little... And, and the, the interesting dynamics here. Because, you know, when they, when they came ashore, it says here that they were shown unusual kindness. Now, when you get beaten up and busted around a bit, especially for your faith, it, it's really great when you finally experience some unusual kindness. You know, we, we would like to think, well, we are striving to be this church, a church that is known for having unusual kindness. When people come in from being beat up in the world out there, they, they experience unusual kindness. But... Um, the unusual kindness is sometimes not there when we need it. 
And especially, so in, in this situation, you know, and this is what just gives me that sense of Paul being a guy who can just keep going when he's broken. You know, he, if it was me and I was gathered around the fire, it's cold, wet, remember? It says cold and raining, and I, I'd be going, okay, this one's for me. You know, I'm, I, I deserve this. I'm just going to stay with the fire and, you know, let anybody else take care of feeding it. But he saw the fire was dying down. He thought, no, no, let me be a part of the solution. And as, as, as a body of Christ, that's what God is constantly calling us to be, part of the solution. If the fire is dying out, do what you can to put more spiritual brushwood on the fire. And so Paul gathers some stuff and he dumps it down on the fire. And um, as the Bible says, that there was a viper, a deadly viper, that did not want to be burned to death. And so it, it latched a ride onto Paul's hand. And so there is Paul standing there with a snake hanging from his hand. Now, in that moment, you know, for starters, the crowd turned on him. So one moment they're showing him unusual kindness. The next moment they're calling him a murderer. So it's really great to have the crowd with you. The crowd was with Jesus a week before he was crucified, but a, few, uh, a day before he, uh, the day of him being crucified, the crowd was against him. So the crowd's really good to have you with you. You know, everybody loves a crowd. A crowd, there's kind of energy in a crowd. But you know, God is calling us to be believers who can still keep going, regardless of whether the crowd's for you or not for you. And so Paul is this guy who, uh, um, he's standing there, and that's what I call a crisis moment. And he could be absolutely forgiven for saying, God, you have got to be joking. After all that I've been through, I was just doing your favorite thing. And here I am. I've got this deadly viper. And now I've got the crowd standing around, you know, wondering when I'm going to keel over and die. But he doesn't. Paul has this sense that the Spirit of God put in him. And uh, the first thing that, uh, there's a couple of things I want to leave with you in uh, closing out this morning. The first thing is believers, don't get sucked into this thinking that everything has to be lined up perfectly in order for you to just step out there and just be or do what God is calling you to be or do. It's not about having the right conditions because it certainly wasn't the right conditions for the Apostle Paul. But having the right attitude in the face of the conditions. And Paul had that attitude. And every one of us here can also have that attitude. It doesn't matter how many things are going against us. We can, because of what Christ has done for us and is continuing to do within us, we can have an attitude that is not dependent on all the conditions lining up in our favor. You know, um, as a, a doctor of psychology who also works with pastors, I do a lot of uh, study and, and current research. And uh, Harvard University has just done this, uh, these studies that have uh, determined that there is great power in happiness. And um, uh, Brandon, if you could... They've worked out that your brain at 
happy, switched on to happy, performs significantly better than it does at negative, neutral, or stressed. Your intelligence rises, your creativity rises, your energy levels rise. Every single factor um, is positively impacted by your spirit of joy. You know, the Bible says that the strength, uh, that the joy of the Lord is the vessel which God's strength is found in. And so everything, it's business outcomes, educational outcomes, ministry outcomes, every outcome improves. Now here's the thing. We live in a culture where we, I'll be happy when. If this happens, then I'll be happy. You know, when I get this promotion, I'll be happy. When, you know, and we're waiting on the, the situations to turn to our favor so that we, uh, we can experience the happiness. But what clinical studies are showing is that if you put happiness on the front end, then your uh, journey to experiencing good outcomes increases exponentially. And that's what God is saying. He's saying, don't wait for things to turn out, you know, for all the conditions to line up perfectly. Become joyful now. And I really believe that the Apostle Paul had that joy. He, he knew that somehow, some way, God was in it. And so um, the other thing uh, that uh, I want to point out here, it's not about having the perfect plan. But it's having the perfect response when things don't go your way. You see, my response, if I was standing there after all that you know, Paul had gone through and I'm, I've got a, a, a snake hanging from my hand, a deadly one, my response would be, I, I am so done with this, I am toast. I, but Paul did something. He shook the snake off into the fire. And then he just, set, he just continued on the path that God had called him to, to be on. Now, I don't know, has anybody here ever known anybody died from a snake bite? I, I've never heard of anybody in the entire world actually dying from a snake bite. Has anybody heard? Okay. All right. But a snake bite? Anybody? Okay. Um, but, but in reality, um, because, uh, you know, the fangs go in, and, you know, the fangs come out. It's just two little dots. Maybe a little blood appears. And, you know, after a few days, the scab could be picked off. Just to, it's not the bite that kills you. What is it? It's the venom. It's the poison. And God knows that there are times where we're going to get bitten in this journey. Things are not going to turn out as planned. But God is not intimidated by that. And he also knows that he's put power within you to enable you to keep going, even though times you feel like you're broken and, and you've, been, you've been bounced around a bit. But God has put something very powerful in you, and that is the knowledge that God has a purpose for your life. And anything that you go through, if we claim his joy on the front end, we're going to get to the other side of the difficulty faster than if we put misery, if we cooperate with misery, if we dance with, with, uh, with our, our depression. God is saying, no, push, push further into me. So don't wait for all the right conditions. Otherwise, you're ultimately never going to reach out. And don't, 
you know, try to put together the perfect plan because there is no such thing as the perfect plan. There's just the perfect response. For Paul, it was, you know what? I'm not going to partner with this thing. This thing wants to kill me. I'm not going to partner with this thing. I'm just going to shake it off. And yet as a pastor and, and um, as uh, a, a psychologist, having people come in and see me, sometimes I see people walk into my counseling office and it's like they're dragging, you know, a, a half a dozen snakes, you know, the divorce, um, depression, anxiety, um, a, a bad experience that they've gone through, a terrible relationship with a father or a mother or, or a husband or a wife. And it's like they've been bitten, yes, but they've also taken on the toxin. They've taken on the venom. And we don't have to. You know, the blood of Jesus Christ is the greatest blood transfusion the world has ever known. He flushes our system and, and with, with all its sin and all its... its anxious thoughts and all the, all the things that we find challenging and hurtful to our soul. When we push into him, we realize that God does have a purpose. Nothing has to be perfectly lined up. The conditions don't have to be right. It's not about the perfect plan. It's just about the perfect response. And the perfect response is, God, I don't understand this, but I know that you love me and you've put me in this world to do your work. And if, Helen, if, if Helen's not going to receive it, then I'll just, I'll just keep going. I'm not going to let Helen determine my future. I'm going to let your call in my life determine my future. God's ways are not our ways. And you've heard Mark tell you that and you've known that from the Bible and, and your own journey. In finishing up here, um, a little while ago I was speaking at a marriage seminar, my wife and I, and a guy came up with us halfway through the marriage seminar and said, uh, hey, Wes, so good to see you again. I'm going, oh, don't remember the first time. Um, <laughs> And he said, you probably don't, but let me just ex explain it. He said, my wife and I, uh, my, we gave birth to uh, our baby girl. And she was premature. And uh, she was two months premature. In fact, when she, she was born, she only weighed a couple of pounds. And eventually she came home from the hospital. And, uh, um, but he said she would suffer seizures. And, and her breathing would get really shallow. And... Um, and she would be in a struggle for her life. And she sa he said, this, this one night, she was so breathing so shallow that uh, we knew we were going to lose her. She was already turning blue. So my wife was driving. I was in the passenger seat, and there's a big guy. And he said, I have my little girl, she, she's still fit in the palm of my hand. And with two fingers, I was doing com chest compressions on her little chest, trying to keep her heart going. And he said, we got to the hospital, and we, we handed her over to... Uh, the emergency room staff, and they took her, and we, uh, then we sat in the waiting room, and we were sitting there all alone. And he said it was about three o'clock in the morning, and you walked in, and you stopped, and you saw that we were alone, and, and you just said hi, and you asked us why we were there, and we told you, and you spent a few moments just, just caring for us, 
And he said, we had no idea whether we were going to see our little girl again or not. And uh, you prayed for us. And then you left. And uh, we never saw you again until, until this marriage retreat. And he said, by the way, uh, our girl is, uh, is great. She's, you know, she's uh, four years old. Um, and she's never suffered another seizure at all. He said, uh, I, something happened in that waiting room that night. And so here I was driving home, getting all, uh, getting all cranky with God, going, God, you, you know, I went to help Helen. Helen didn't want my help. And, and all along, God's going, no, 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 where's you just don't, you're not getting it. Um, you will one day, but just trust me. Because I, God used Helen to get me up in the middle of the night. But God had a different purpose. I thought my plan was that I would go in and be the hero pastor for Helen, and Helen would go, oh, you know, isn't my pastor great? You know, you can get up in the morning, and, you know. And, uh, yeah, that God, that, and in God's mind, that plan was really erroneous. It was full of holes, full of pride, full of, full of works. But uh, he, still, he still used me in that, in that moment. And he's wanting to continue to use you. So I'm here to say that um, you're going to have lots of Helens. If you haven't in your life already, you're going to have lots in the future. The only question is, um, you know, don't get stuck on your perfect plan. What's your perfect response? And I would challenge all of us today to have the same response that the Apostle Paul did. I don't understand this, but I'm certainly not going to partner with it. Somebody's been ultra critical with me, or you know, somebody's speaking words of death over me. I, I'm just not. I, I'm just not going to get attached to that. I'm just going to shake that off. I'm just going to keep doing what God's called me to do. Just keep reaching out with love and grace and mercy and kindness, because God knows we live in a world that is in such desperate short supply of grace and compassion and love, and we have that. And I. I just want to, I come from the other side of the planet with that simple message. So keep going. Because we serve a God that can use us mightily, even when we're broken, even when we've been banged around a bit. Doesn't mean God's not there. Doesn't mean God's not wanting to use us. God wants to use every single one of us in this room today. All he's looking for is for you to have the type of response that says, here I am, God. Use me. Let's pray together. And so, Father God, I just thank you for the chance to be able to share this word with your people who you've called and you have given a mission to. And Lord, I just pray your blessing be upon them. Lord, I know that some people have come in today and that they have been bitten by something out there. And Lord God, I just pray that your, your Holy Spirit the blood of Jesus would be the ultimate transfusion just to flush that out of their system today. Lord, that they would go out having whatever snake had, has bit them metaphorically this week, Lord, that they would in this moment just shake it off and know that uh, your grace and your love and your power and your joy and your happiness is uh, ultimately what's going to get us uh, to doing mighty things in your name. 
So God, I pray for those who uh, are here who, who have been hurt. And I pray for those, God, who are here today. And it, um, Lord, they've, uh, they've kind of got detached a little bit from the mission of what we're all about. And Lord God, I just pray that you'd, for all of us, remind us that uh, um, you don't need all the conditions to be perfect. You don't need a perfect plan. You just need a responsive heart, being willing to be used by you. So God... Uh, for all of us here, those that want to be included in on this prayer, I just pray, refresh that desire in us, God, that uh, to continue to do good things in your name, minister, bring love, prayer, whatever is needed. We pray this. Oh, and one more thing, God. I'd like to pray for Mark and Louisa. Lord, in, in, in these moments, whatever they're doing here, Lord, just refresh them. And... And Lord, give them the sense of knowing that they are doing a good and noble work in leading your people. Lord, bless them in whatever way they need blessing at this time. And uh, Lord, we just thank you that we go from this place knowing that uh, you go with us. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.